Well, good morning, and uh, happy Valentine's Day again. Uh, so glad that you're here this morning, so glad that we can worship together and uh, can look at this passage of uh, Scripture together this morning. It's an interesting passage. Uh, I want to say to you, thank you for praying for Marg. Uh, she uh, has come through uh, thyroid surgery. She's doing great. I still have the advantage. She's whispering these days. And so advantage in for a few more days and then she'll be fine. Uh, but she appreciates your prayers. And so thank you so much for, for doing that. There is a sermon outline in your uh, Sunday news today, if that would be helpful in following as we're in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 and following. And we're just off the starting blocks in a new series of messages that uh, is going to lead us right up to Easter Sunday. And our theme is uh, heart shaping. Uh, and Jesus has been getting his, uh, his disciples ready for something that was going to rock their world. And he kept telling them, kept preparing them, but they had no idea of the intensity of, of what was going to come to pass. So he's preparing them. He's giving them big picture stuff. He's teaching them about his return one day, that he's coming back, and he's saying, get ready, get ready, get ready. It could happen any moment. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. You must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Uh, Matthew 25, verses 24 to... Uh, 44 to... 24, 44. There. The... Uh, parable of the five wise and five foolish bridesmaids uh, we talked about last week is a dramatic parable told uh, by Jesus to illustrate how essential it is to not get distracted by regular planet living but like a firefighter we're, we always live in a state of readiness even though the demands of life constantly surround us so we're like a firefighter, ready at any moment. But Jesus no sooner finishes his wedding word picture before he creates another imaginary story. And that's the story we want to look at this morning. And it falls snugly uh, into four parts. And we just saw how amazingly dramatized the, this section of Scripture is. Do you ever remember... Uh, using the words, that's not fair, that's not fair. Ever heard that around your house lately? Did you say that as a kid? That's not fair. My mom was a good cook. Great apple pie. And uh, an awesome country fried chicken. I mean, that was her specialty. I know, fried, but oh, it was good. But the apple pie, funny how as a kid, you would watch the size of the piece of pie that is given to you. And if your brother got just a little bit more, it sure was easy to say, that's not fair. He got a little bit more. I mean, and that's nothing. Wait till you get to deal with the will. That's not fair. Oh, how many families have big rifts in them because of that crazy will? 
And what's the line we give to our kids? Have you used it? Well, life isn't fair. Have you used that? Well, life isn't fair. Uh, uh, sorry, but you're, you're going to discover one day that life isn't fair, so get over it. And that's the message. Sounds a little blunt, doesn't it? When, you see, when I get the biggest piece of the pie, I don't really think a lot about fairness. I simply say, isn't God good? <laughs> Look at what I have. And I don't really think about my brother who is looking at what I got and saying, that is so unfair. I prayed too. I worked too. I did my job. Did I tell you this before? I was, uh, I was getting my hair cut a month ago. And the, and the gal who was cutting my hair was telling me horror stories about some of her clients who had lost their jobs. And there are some pretty sad stories out there. You know them well. And her clients were good employees. But suddenly there was no job for them. Because their termination was so painful, some of the employees said, that's not fair. And they said, what I learned from this is to never give my best at work anymore. I gave my best. I got kicked in the teeth. And therefore, on my next job, I will hold back. I will not put myself out there again because I don't want to ever have the feeling that I gave everything and then I turned around and got kicked in the pants. And so I heard that in the hairstylist chair and, and it didn't feel right, but I didn't know how to respond to it. I didn't have that quick answer like, well, I'll tell you this. But when I left, like most times when you have a conversation, you know what you would add to it later? I, I, and I'm not sure she would have heard this, but I was asking the question, why do we do our jobs? Why do we do our jobs? Why do we bring our best? And certainly for the organization that we're part of, we bring our best, but especially if you're a follower of Christ, you, you bring your best because you could do no less. You belong to Christ. You never give him just a little, Look at how he brought his best. Aren't you glad he didn't just say, I'll just, I'll just give you something. But he brought his best. And we bring our best for ourselves as well. We have to live with us. Michelangelo, in painting the Sistine Chapel, did the most minute work, obscure. No one would have ever seen it. Some of those high places and back in the corners... Like, you, he could have fudged a little bit. He didn't have to do his best work in those obscure corners where nobody would see them. But he said, well, God sees it. And he said, I see it. And so he, he brought his best. When we say life isn't fair, what we're really saying is that life isn't even. When I think that life should be even, I think we all can see that that's impossible. There's no way for life to be even. And here's why that's so important for us to look at. The unfairness of life, the unevenness of life, can quickly become an excuse for our irresponsibility. If I don't get the biggest piece of the pie, can you expect me to be a responsible person? Why try? Why go the extra mile if I don't get the benefits? 
I have every right in the world to walk away from my responsibilities because someone else got my fair share. So what are you going to do with what you got? And that's the story this morning from this, from this illustration of Jesus. What are you going to do with what you've got? If you've got a lot, will you waste it? If you don't get as much, will you resent it? Will you make excuses as to why you didn't bring your best? Benjamin Franklin said this, he that is good at making excuses is seldom good at anything else. It's not fair. I'm going to pull back. I'm going to make some excuses. You can have a lot and still make excuses. Uh, and we got the biggest chuckle because one of our granddaughters watched an adult talking on the phone. Not saying who, not giving any, any hints here. And while the adult was on the phone, they left the kitchen faucet running. They were so absorbed in the phone that they left the kitchen faucet running. And, uh, and the water's running all this time with this guy, our gal, was, 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 was on the phone. And uh, the granddaughter was feeling deeply that they're wasting water. You see, teachers, when you talk about water conservation in your classes, it registers. And granddaughter was a little put out with wasting water. Good for her. Teach that adult a thing or two. The more we have, the more we're liable to waste. We're generally irresponsible with things of which we have extra. And if you're not careful, you can be just as irresponsible as the person on the other side of the ledger sheet. So the issue isn't how to make life fair. The real issue is what are we going to do with the hand that we've been dealt? What are we going to do with the, li the, the, the lives that God has given to us, the life? And the more you focus on the unfairness and unevenness of life, the more you'll be tempted to excuse irresponsibility because of what someone else has or what someone else doesn't have. So hear this incredible story this morning. I, I, and I know I took a long time to set it up, but I'm willing to venture the question, and I hope you are too, Lord, what, what are you trying to say? Because I know this story. So what are you trying to say to me this morning? And I hope you'll just ask the question as we kind of march through this story, this parable. What does it mean for me? How do I get this in the context of where I live? And what does it mean for me, Lord? So four parts to the story. Somebody said they weren't quite sure they liked this story. And I think I can understand that. So here we go in the time tunnel. Back to, back to the first century. Remember, it's a parable. We're looking for the main point, not trying to make it walk on all fours. It's a word picture with a below-the-surface meaning. So first of all, the entrustment. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. 
What a great storyteller Jesus is, eh? Want to know something about the kingdom of God? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's like a man. It's like a man going on a trip. And he entrusts uh, to three different servants uh, all of his assets. And he basically says, I'm going to be gone for a while. Here's, my, here's everything I've got. Take care of what I've got. Invest. Make them go to work. Now, the story is told around cold, hard cash. You might be reading Talents. The New Living Translation puts it very clearly, five bags of silver, two bags of silver, and one bag of silver. It's, it's cash. Now, should we try to apply this below the surface, meaning in terms of cash? Probably not. We're talking about responsibility. We're talking about life. We're talking about respond, responding with what you've been giving, given. So we're talking about spiritual gifts and abilities and personality. And, and wealth and resources and everything. It, it's the whole ball of wax. It's just everything you've got. It's everything you've been given. So Jesus was teaching that he was going away. Soon it would really depend upon them. He's, he's going to entrust everything. He's going away and now it's going to depend upon you. And they would be responsible to bring to the table the resources that they've been given. So while he's gone, he has entrusted to us who we are, our abilities, our gifts, our our strengths, and all of that. Now here's a couple of things that speak to me. One, the distribution of bags of silver or resources are completely up to the owner, up to Jesus. The entrustment belongs to the owner. You and I don't decide what we receive. You don't get a choice whether you get five bags, two bags, or one bag. It's not our choice. We get what we get. And you're responsible for what you get. You're responsible for what you get. Secondly, everybody gets something because everyone has worth and ability. And Paul taught us all about spiritual gifts. All of us are important in the body. So we need one another. And when someone says... I'm not going to use my gift. We all take a hit. And when we all say, I'm going to use my gifts to the best of my ability, we all score. So everybody gets something because everyone has worth and ability. Thirdly, the number of talents or bags of silver or resources distributed to each servant is unequal. Some are are given more gifts and more resources, more talents, more abilities. And that's true in God's kingdom. We're not all the same. Otherwise, we would have no need of, of anyone else. So God has uniquely given you what you need. And he has given you things to do which are uniquely yours. Fourthly, the distribution of the talents is based upon each person's abilities. Now, some perhaps couldn't handle more than a few talents. I mean, you wouldn't want to give great wealth to a person who couldn't handle it, would you? Because it would soon be wasted. I'm going to use a story about Rick Warren. Perhaps I shouldn't, but he's public with it, so I'm thinking I could be. You know, Rick Warren has uh, written the, the book, The Purpose Driven Life. He's the pastor of Saddleback, very large church. 20,000 in Southern California. And the book, 
as you know, has been a bestseller. Uh, he's made millions, let's face it. He's made millions. The man is rich. But the Lord knew that he could entrust Rick Warren with great riches. And so he lives in the same house he's lived in for years. He drives an older car. They give away 92% of their income, and they live on 8%. And I know you're, you do the calculation and say, but 8% of millions is still a lot of money. But they manage fine. And that's a choice. I mean, it could be different, but he can be trusted with five talents or 10 talents or 20 talents. So first of all is the entrustment. The master leaves and he entrusts. Secondly is the investment report. So what happened with the entrustment? Well, you know the story. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and he earned five more. And the servant with the two bags of silver also went to work and he earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Wow, a couple of great investments. The, the servant who was given five bags of silver must have found a great uh, investment opportunity, right? Because he doubled it. And so the servant with the two bags of silver, they were all in with what they'd been given. And let the record show that the servant who was given one bag of silver didn't gain and didn't lose. All he got was a little exercise, a little physical exercise. He dug a hole, and that's what he got. He got a little exercise, and he put his investment in a hole. He hid it in a hole. Well, of course, he didn't want to lose it. Now, we all know some five-bag people. Uh, they just seem to have it all together. They get into the right schools. They marry the right people. They, they get recognized in the marketplace. They make a lot of money. They're beautiful. We hate those people. <laughs> they make great investments. They double their money. And then there are some who have tough luck along the way. Uh, their families fall apart. They didn't grow up with the support of a mom or dad. They don't have financial resources. Maybe don't have the greatest communication skills. Maybe don't have the greatest presence in a room. Uh, one bag. And then there are most of us somewhere in the middle. And the question for us is this. What are we going to do with what we have? And the tendency is to look at everybody else and to say, well, they got this and they got this and we don't have that and, and kind of make excuses for what we have or don't have. And this parable teaches us that we're to look at our own bag and decide how to leverage it to the fullest. We are to refuse to take what we've been given for granted, either by wasting it or by making excuses. We've refused to take what we've been given for granted. So thirdly, accountability. After a long time, their master returned from the trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I've earned five more. 
Ah, the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I give you many more responsibilities. I'm sorry I don't have time to unpack that, but that's a great sermon in itself. Uh, I I give you many more responsibilities. I'll just throw that out there. Let's celebrate together. Now, the exact same words are used for the servant who had two bags of silver and invested them. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful. Now, could we just stop here and just see something? It's so cool that the exact words are used for the second servant as the first servant. You you know, you might think there'd be a little more commendation for the five-bag servant, but there's not. See, the point is faithfulness. The point is responsibility. It doesn't matter if you're a five-talent person or a two-talent person or a one-talent person. That doesn't matter at all. The Lord brings his smile and approval when you're faithful. When you're faithful. So you are not responsible for the talent set that you get. I mean, that's all God. So whatever he gives you, he gives you. And I tell you, Doesn't that take the pressure off trying to be somebody that you're not? I'll never be a mathematician. I just won't. I will never be. Some of you love math. I know I am not offending you. Me, not so much. Some of you love physics. That's just like what you eat and breathe for. Me, no, not so much. Uh, we're all different. Some love to work with their hands. Some love details. Some love big picture. Some love the arts. Some love the academics. Some love the practical. Some love the abstract. It's all good, and it's all different. And so how did God make you? The greatest joy in living is just knowing the giftedness and passion that's been put into your life. And and you didn't put it there. That's God. He put it into your life. It's all about how God has wired us. And there's no value attached to it. But what is important in all that, that God has given you is faithfulness. However God has gifted you. Now we come to the hard part of the accountability Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvest crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Now I thought this is a great illustration of first century whining. Listen closely. Because as the third servant begins to explain why he buried his money, really... He subtly blames his master. Watch this. This is what irresponsible people do. The the servant is saying that the master is tough to work with. He doesn't take no for an answer. You know, those bosses, 
Maybe you got one. They're irresponsible or they're impossible. And uh, do you have a rough, tough boss that you work for? The servant is intimidated by the master, it says so. He was anxious. So I was afraid and I went out and I hid your money in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. The servant is basically blaming his master for there not being more silver. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. Now, wicked here can also be translated worthless. And I think that's probably the better translation. The servant didn't invest the money because he was lazy. He was lazy. He, did, he just did the easiest thing, and then he blamed his master for his own laziness. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have at least received it back with interest. Now, are you reading it the same way I am? I, there's no way around this. There is an expectation to use what God has given to us. There was an expectation on that servant that received the one bag of silver. Oh, he didn't need to produce ten bags of silver. He didn't need to re produce five bags of silver. He just needed to be faithful with the one bag that he had been given. And there are a bunch of other verses that support this, like Luke 12, 48. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Now a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. And it's part of our journey with God. I know I'm, I know I'm speaking to a congregation that has really impressed my heart. I mean, you dig down deep and you're faithful and I've been blessed by your faithfulness and I've watched and you'll hear a little bit at the very short business meeting at the end of how God has blessed us. That's all faithfulness. But God is the one who really knows us and Jesus is the one who has gone on a trip, so to speak, and after his resurrection, we know he returned to the Father. But he reminded us that he's coming back. And he's given us the kingdom goods, so to speak. And he's entrusted his resources to us. And he made you to be who you are. He has put spiritual gifts and abilities into your life. And he has given you resources and a personality. And he's given you experiences. So what do we do with all of that? And so how are you dealing with it? With every gift, every resource, every blessing, there comes a responsibility. Isn't that what we teach our children? We give them the blessing of having their own room. But with it comes the responsibility of keeping their room acceptable. We eventually get to the point where our teenager gets his or her license and wants to drive our car. Oh, my. I used to say, drive Mark's car. Don't drive my car. It's a blessing to have the car, 
But with that comes a responsibility. I mean, some of us remember the very first time we got the car and went off on our own to pick up our friends. Oh, what a thrill. Do you remember the first time alone with the car? Mom and Dad entrusted me with the half-ton. Doesn't sound very glamorous, does it? But with the half-ton, because we lived on the farm. And I was, I, I'm off Saturday night alone with the half-ton to pick up my friends. And I'm no more than two miles away from our house. And a deer ran across the road in front of me. Oh, and all I could think was, a fine start this is. Hardly off the farmyard, and I hit a deer. But fortunately, it just kind of grazed by, and it left me with shattered nerves and the realization that I have a responsibility with this vehicle. So what have you been given? What gifts? Some of you have been given a spiritual gift of teaching. Are you teaching somewhere? Some of you have the gift of leadership. Are you using that gift of leadership? Some of you have been given the gift of administration, putting things in order. Do you use that? Some of you have a mercy gift or a faith gift or a discernment gift. Is the body benefiting from your gifts? The owner gave us gifts and resources. Maybe you've been blessed to have a job these days and maybe you're working up in your job. Another rung a little higher and we're blessed to have jobs. And as you get money into your home, how much is being invested in spiritual things? God has entrusted that to you. You see, and then he checks in to see, oh, how are we doing? He has an expectation that we will be faithful. And maybe you have a family that God has entrusted to you. And you have some kids growing up in your home right now. Parents, you have an awesome job, a challenging job. But let's face it, it's huge. You're trying to lead against the cultural grain at every turn. And every message that you send to your kids, the culture sends 10 other messages that kind of go against what you're saying. But you're investing day by day by day and praying and asking God for his word and listening to get wisdom and direction. And it's huge. Accountability. Then finally, settling of the accounts. There's commendation for those who are faithful with what God has given them. And you heard the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. But there is a very hard word for the third servant who buried his bag of silver. Now, it's true, you could imply this truth, uh, that, well, you know, you got to live a little dangerously in this world. You can't just kind of float along. You have to step out a little bit. And we're tempted to play it very safe. I know that God's given me, I know that God has given us some things that are important. He's given us spiritual gifts and finances and abilities and resources. But, you know, I get a little cautious, and I think to myself, I can't afford to lose this, so I better park it. I better park it. That would be so sad to live a lifetime parking your gifts and resources 
knowing that one day soon the master's coming back. Wouldn't that be a shame to park your gifts? This time on planet Earth has bookends surrounding it. The first bookend is birth, and the second is death. And the span in between is just very short. But that's the journey the Master is speaking about, and he asks us to invest our lives during that time. So how do you do that effectively? How do you keep your life from spiraling out of control? Well, Dallas Willard answered that question, and you would think his answer is absurd. He said, live an unhurried life. Doesn't it sound like he's from another planet? Do your best to live an unhurried life. Why? Because you hear God better when your life is not just maxed out. And the priorities of living become more clear when you hear God. Now I know verse 30 is a very hard verse and I think you might be wondering, what's he going to do with that verse? Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now some would say this is a hard word to a believer who hasn't faithfully used their gifts. But will, 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 they will enter heaven, yes, but it's like the verse in 1 Corinthians 3.12 where talk, Paul talks about building on the foundation of jewels or precious silver or gold or it says, or some on wood, hay and straw or stubble. The, the, the builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. And I guess I used to think that all these three servants were believers. But verse 30 is too strong. Those kind of words are reserved only for the lost. Now, I don't think verse 30 applies to a Christian. So I take the third servant as someone who hears the message of salvation, but rejects it. He doesn't respond correctly to it. He turns it off. He buries it, the gift of salvation. What do we do with the resource of Jesus himself? What do we do with our relationship with him? That's a gift to us too. Well, that's the greatest gift. So in essence, this third servant did not invest his own life and his abilities into being a follower of Christ. So the bottom line to this imaginary story is the lesson that Jesus really wants to tell us, and I I leave it with you. God's blessings require us to respond. God's blessings require us to respond. Let's stand together. So, Father, uh, thank you for entrusting to us gifts and abilities. And forgive us for parking some of those gifts and abilities. Uh, Help me to hear what you're saying to me. Help us to hear what you're saying to us. Because we desire to bring our best. In Jesus' name, amen.